Welcome to the Kotke Ride Home for Wednesday, April 20th, 2021. I'm Jackson Bird. A few newly announced NASA-funded projects, including one to build a radio telescope in a crater on the moon. A Welsh farmer shares his secrets to ultimate contentment. And can machine learning help us understand what whales are saying to one another? Here are some of the cool things from the news today. Understanding what animals are saying to each other, if indeed they're saying anything at all, has been a dream of humans for generations. But thanks to some breakthroughs in machine learning, building on decades of additional research studies, we might be close to figuring out the shared language of sperm whales, if indeed it does exist at all. First, some background on sperm whales from National Geographic. Quote, Sperm whales have the animal kingdom's biggest brains, six times larger than ours. They live in female-dominated social networks and exchange codas in a type of staccato duet, especially when near the surface. They segregate into clans of hundreds or thousands which identify themselves using different click codas. In a sense, clans speak different dialects. The whales also identify one another by specific click patterns, which they appear to use like names, and they learn their codas much as humans learn language, by babbling clicks as juveniles until they pick up their family's repertoire. End quote. Now, some linguists say that no non-human animals have a communication system we would actually classify as language, Nat Geo notes, but lack of language doesn't mean lack of communication. You know, especially with the assistance of machine learning over the last few years, scientists have identified different types of communication related to different needs across various species. Egyptian fruit bats have different sounds for when they're fighting over food versus fighting over places to sleep. And rats and mice, whose communicative sounds can't even be heard by the human ear, also exhibit different sounds for various needs, like mating and avoiding danger. And prairie dogs have different calls based on what kind of animal or human is approaching them, and even the size and appearance of that person. And when it comes to whales, some scientists think their communication does lean more towards actual language than just some different communicative cues. Shane Giro, a Canadian biologist, has been studying this for many years, and he says context is key. We need to know enough about the animals we're studying to make sense of whether or not they're communicating with something that we might call language. We have to understand who they are as individuals and their relationships with one another. Giro has thousands of recordings of sperm whales' clicks. He's even been trying to keep track of which whales are talking with whom and what else they're doing at the time. He's mapped out their familial relationships using skin and fecal samples. And it's an impressive amount of data, but what to do with it? David Gruber, a professor of biology and environmental science at the City University of New York, was the one that proposed using machine learning to understand the codas of sperm whales, on the suggestion of a colleague of his at Harvard's Ratcliffe Institute, who observed that the whale's clicks sounded a bit like Morse code. Gruber and Giro teamed up, along with some of Gruber's colleagues, to train a computer to identify individual sperm whales just based on their sounds and compared it to Giro's notes. The computer correctly identified the whales more than 94% of the time. 
With such success, the team decided to expand the project, hoping they might now have the tools to understand what the whales are saying. And from there, I mean, who knows where the method could take them? Maybe it could be applied to communicate with extraterrestrial life one day, one of the team members suggested. Quoting again from National Geographic, the team includes experts in linguistics, robotics, machine learning, and camera engineering. They will lean heavily on advances in artificial intelligence, which can now translate one human language to another without help from a Rosetta Stone or key. The Quest, dubbed Project CETI for Cestation Translation Initiative, is likely the largest interspecies communication effort in history. Already, these scientists have been at work building specialized video and audio recording devices. They aim to capture millions of whale codas and analyze them. The hope is to expose the underlying architecture of whale chatter. What units make up whale communication? Is there grammar, syntax, or anything analogous to words and sentences? These experts will track how whales behave when making or hearing clicks. And using breakthroughs in natural language processing, the branch of artificial intelligence that helps Alexa and Siri respond to voice commands, researchers will attempt to interpret this information. End quote. Now, crucially, this is not about getting whales to understand humans, as we have done for many different species of animals that we've trained. This is about figuring out a way for us to understand them. And not necessarily so we can communicate with them, because, you know, what would we even say? As Gruber points out, our conceptual understanding of the world is so different that even if we understand some of the structural and behavioral ways they communicate, we don't exactly have shared words to hold a conversation. You know, like, what is a boat to a whale? No, instead, this is more about listening to the whales, as Gruber says, in their own setting, on their own terms. And even with machine learning, it's a tough and mind-swirling task. Quoting again, Machine translation is possible for humans in part because word associations are usually similar across languages. Moon and sky relate to each other in the same way as the French words loon and ciel. With whales, the big question is whether any of this stuff is even present, says Jacob Andreas, a natural language processing expert at MIT and a Project CETI team member. Are there minimal units inside this communication system that behave like language, and are there rules for putting them together? To find out, the team expects to use a host of techniques. For example, one deep network approach takes random stabs at outlining a system of rules for language. Then it checks to see if units of conversation meet those rules. If they don't, it makes tweaks and tries again. Computers perform this process of tweaking and validating rules very quickly, repeating it thousands or millions of times to produce a set of rules that do a good job of explaining data, Andreas says, end quote. And despite the great lead start that Gero gave them with his audio recordings, they'll need way more to accomplish their lofty goals. Fortunately, the project is super well-funded with an official partnership with the Nation of Dominica as well as support from National Geographic and the TED Audacious Project. And it might sound like a lot to throw behind a project just about sperm whales, but that's the thing. It's not just about sperm whales. Quoting once more, for the CETI researchers, much of the value will be in the journey of the discovery itself. The Apollo mission put people on the moon, but along the way, humans invented calculators, Velcro, and transistors, and they helped launch the digital age that makes this project possible. 
Even if CETI never cracks the sperm whale code, researchers are bound to make significant advancements in machine learning, animal communication, and our understanding of one of the world's most mysterious creatures. End quote. So earlier this month, I shared one astrophysicist's proposal to turn the entire Earth into a telescope. Well, NASA has officially approved a research project that proposes putting a radio telescope on the moon. A few weeks ago, NASA's Jet Propulsion Lab announced the projects they had selected to fund as part of the NASA Innovative Advanced Concepts Program. So these aren't official NASA missions, just cool research projects NASA is helping fund. Among those projects is robotic technologist Subtarshi Bandopade's radio telescope that would be built within a crater on the far side of the moon. Quoting JPL, He aims to design a wire mesh that small climbing robots could deploy to form a large parabolic reflector. The Phase 2 study will also focus on refining the capabilities of the telescope and various mission approaches. End quote. I don't know why a telescope inside a crater on the moon sounds so cool to me, but it does. And the other projects selected for funding sound awesome as well. There's one focused on special spacecraft to study Venus's atmosphere, and another that's investigating plausible ways to land on Pluto. Can you imagine? A particularly useful project is continuing research on growing structures out of fungi. This is something that could be super useful both for construction on the moon and Mars, as well as for low-cost biodegradable structures Earthside. And Nicholas Solome from Wichita State University received funding to detect neutrinos from space rather than from Earth. Quoting again from JPL, Neutrinos are one of the most abundant particles in the universe, but are challenging to study since they rarely interact with matter. Therefore, large and sensitive Earth-based detectors are best suited to detect them. Salome proposes something different, a space-based neutrino detector. Neutrinos are a tool to see inside stars, and a space-based detector would offer a new window into the structure of our sun and even our galaxy, said NIAC program executive Jason Derleth. A detector orbiting close to the sun could reveal the shape and size of the solar furnace at the core. Or, by going in the opposite direction, this technology could detect neutrinos from the stars at the center of our galaxy. End quote. Lots of cool stuff coming out of this round of funding. It's always interesting to keep an eye on these burgeoning projects to see where they might go from here. Wilf Davies is a 72-year-old Welsh farmer who has barely ever left Wales and has eaten the same exact meal for supper every day for the past decade. And yet, he says he's completely content. Even if someone offered him two million pounds to move, he says he'd turn it down. Davies shared his unique, to our modern times at least, life with The Guardian earlier this month, and I'm just completely captivated by it. His story was told to reporter Karan Sidhu, so it's written in first person and has some real wonderful moments I want to pull from it. So Davies grew up on the farm he still manages, primarily looking after 71 sheep, and he's never really wanted to leave. But even for someone who loves what they do and where they do it, his lifestyle might still raise eyebrows. Quoting his story in The Guardian, I have a routine, just like nature, that extends to what I eat. I've had the same supper for 10 years, even on Christmas Day. 
two pieces of fish, one big onion, an egg, baked beans, and a few biscuits at the end. For lunch, I have a pear, an orange, and four sandwiches with paste, but I'll allow myself a bit more variety. I'll sometimes have soup if it's cold. End quote. A quick note from me for non-British listeners, paste is just like a sandwich spread, often beef or tuna-based, so you're getting some protein in there. Davies says being a farmer means that it doesn't matter if it's a holiday, the same work still has to be done, which he likes. Quoting again, The animals still need to be fed. Feeding the sheep and seeing how happy they are makes me happy too. They never ask for anything different for supper. End quote. And I mean, hey, that's a great point. Davies talks as well about his love of nature and seasonality. Quote, People might think I'm not experiencing new things, but I think the secret to a good life is to enjoy your work. I could never stay indoors and watch TV. I hear London is a place best avoided. I think living in a city would be terrible. People living on top of one another in great tower blocks, I could never do it. Walking around the farm fills me with wonder. What makes my life is working outside, only going in if the weather is very bad. Autumn is my favorite time of the year. With all the colors of the leaves, it's just beautiful. Cuckoos come here every April, and I look forward to hearing them. A lot of people, locals and bird watchers, come here wanting to hear the cuckoo. But they don't stop long enough. Sometimes they don't even leave their cars. This makes me so sad that I actually cry a bit. It pains me that others don't get to enjoy it. I urge people to get out of their cars and walk up to the road to hear the bird song. End quote. Wow. Something so simple that many of us don't even hear it. Davies says he does keep up with the world by listening to the news on the radio in the evening, but overall, he's just content with his way of life. He's experienced hardships and not experienced some things that many people would say make life worth living, but his perspective, I think, is admirable. Being not just satisfied, but truly happy with your life. You know, finding the thing or the place or the habits that bring you joy and not trying to fit yourself into someone else's definition of joy or success. He concludes, quote, Most evenings, I walk right up to the top of the valley. I look down and everything looks small and far away. And I feel like I'm on the top of the world. End quote. A little bit more space news for you before I go. First, we've got another SpaceX crewed launch coming up on Friday. It was originally scheduled for tomorrow, but got pushed back due to weather. The SpaceX Crew Dragon flight will take NASA astronauts Shane Kimbrough and Megan MacArthur, as well as Japanese Aerospace Exploration Agency astronaut Akihiko Hoshide and European Space Agency astronaut Tomas Pesque to the International Space Station for a six-month mission. Launch is targeted for 5.49 a.m. Eastern Time Friday morning, so if you're in North America, you probably won't be waking up to watch it live, but all the info you need should you wish to tune in is in the show notes. And speaking of the International Space Station, Russia might be leaving the ISS to start their own national module. The ISS, at 20 years old, is beginning to show signs of its age, with more and more repairs being necessary. Now, historically, Russia dropping out, which some of their officials have said they want to do as soon as 2025, would make it all but impossible for the ISS to go on. You know, the U.S. might not be able to maintain it all themselves. But some American experts say they think we could actually keep it going now that we have additional resources coming in from SpaceX. 
so just something to keep your eye on. But that is it for today. As always, this show was produced by Ride Home Media and Kotki.org. I am Jackson Bird, and I will talk to you again tomorrow.